1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Ben Roy Turner. Hello there. And Josh Brown. Hello there. Chaps, I don't know how much time you've spent ruminating on the fact that the final PS4 exclusive is out, but every, for everybody else, we thought we would go through and just sort of rank the best PS4 exclusives of the entire generation, because as far as Sony's concerned, their output is done. It's the end of an era and now uh, we've got quite a lot to pick from. So um, we've put together our top five individual top fives and then we're going to do a handful of um, picking some specific games to break down after that. Um, so Mr. Uh, Benroy, your top five in descending order uh, from five to one is Bloodborne, Until Dawn, God of War, Death Stranding and The Last of Us 2 at number one. And uh, We're going to get back to The Last of Us 2 and Until Dawn in a bit. Uh, Josh Brown, your number five was Spider-Man followed by God of War, Death Stranding, Bloodborne, and The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, and for you, we're going to get to Death Stranding and bloodborne um, and for me it was horizon zero dawn the last of us part two ghost of sushima death stranding and god of war and um, with my two picks being god of war and sushima to focus on later but i thought out of all of those games we should talk about death stranding because that's the one that even we've kind of forgotten about a couple of times and then when it comes yeah. back up it's like oh yeah. my god this thing happened this thing was a yeah. big old deal
2: Totally. I, I, I just want to say that um, although I had Spider-Man at number five on my thing... That you was changed pretty it much a, a, No, it's pretty much a stand-in for everything because I had a solid top four, but there have been so many great PlayStation 4 exclusives that mm. I couldn't get a fifth. So Spider-Man's there, but by the end of the year, that could change to Uncharted 4. It could change <laughs> to Until Dawn. It could change to Ghost of Sushima because mm-hmm. there are so many um, great games vying for that spot. But yes, Death Stranding is the one that kind of stands out because like you said it's a strange game we have had this discussion many times over the past few months and about what is going to be our favorite um playstation 4 exclusive and Mm -hmm. i feel like we we always forget about it but then as soon as someone mentions it it's like that was awesome that is definitely going to be top three at least for Mm -hmm. for me it is because that game left such an impression i think part of the reason i forget it is because i essentially binged it in a week and a half (laughs) played almost 60 hours of it within a ridiculous time period considering that you know we have jobs and we had other things to do back then Mm -hmm. Uh, and yet it it made such an impression in that time i just did not want to do anything other than eat drink and breathe that game i remember very vividly having to go to ikea and getting very annoyed (laughs) on launch weekend getting very annoyed that i couldn't play the game and i came back and how it do you because... remember that, that launch week Sorry. though
1: where it was just we weren't doing anything other than talking about death stranding counting yes. down the hours of work till we can go home and play more death stranding there's something about certain games that i think just latch on like that where it just takes over your entire life and although i really really didn't like the ending um, and I, I, I had a whole thing about like feeling embarrassed that i ever cared in the first place i still totally champion that game's gameplay and the characters and everything else and um, benroy how did you come down on
3: on the whole feeling of death stranding Death Stranding was more of a moment than a game for me. It sort of consumed me in every way. And I, uh, like Brown, I got I would get annoyed if I couldn't play that. But getting, for me, getting annoyed by not playing that, that was me <laughs> going to the toilet. I wasn't going to have to go to Ikea. No one was getting in the way of me playing that game. I'm getting someone to deliver, deliver food to me because I'm trying to reconnect America. And I did that. And I did it all within four human days. I had to... I remember being the first one to be a cursed of knowledge, waiting for mm-hmm. people to like get. Because you were the first end. one finished. Yeah. I just, I just remember finishing it like it's four in the morning, just like sitting there, like, I'm so happy but sad. And I just want to cry. <laughs> and unlike say like The Last of Us 2, which also consumed uh, us for a, a amount of time, mm-hmm. this was pleasant but yet mysterious, and I, I just haven't played anything like it. Not even Metal Gear 5, to be fair. No. Like, I've not played anything as weird or as I, I, you, Kojimari. That's going to just be how I'm going to refer to it. He does need his own term, to be yeah. fair. Do you think going forward, that, um, gem. do you
1: think he did sort of create a new genre, the whole Strand game thing, or do you think that was more of like a marketing? But Do, do you think
3: developers will take stuff from Death Stranding going what? forward? I think it is this idea of people within your world. I think it's taken... I, can't, I always remember, forget that game. Was it Fable 3 when you have like the dots going around the world? And you know, people... You T- like, did that, yeah. Like to represent yeah.
1: multiplayer,
3: yeah. And I def, not Death Stranding, Dark Souls, where you can leave messages. I like the idea of knowing people are in your world mm. and that sort of like persistent and branching off more that way. But mm. Stranding games are really a genre if we think about it. I think it's just the quirky multiplayer stuff that you put in it. I don't know about you two. Well, I thought I thought there was enough there. Like, um, yeah, that idea of, like,
1: group building something, like, you sort of, in, in Death Stranding's case, like, you help put a bunch of materials into, like, a motorway that's coming together, or, you know, you help build, like, a comm station, and you know that someone out there will get some benefit from it, um, and you are sort of, like, asynchronously moving forward together. I love the feeling of that, and you can't really replicate it in any other medium, um, in hardly any other games either. Like, Dark Souls gets close to it when you're reading each other's messages and stuff, um, but you're not climbing a mountain easier because someone's left
3: you a ladder or something like that that feeling was so good i keep forgetting the likes and the whole thing of i was so i got so much pleasure out of building roads for people and building things and knowing people that were going to use my zip lines Mm -hmm. i forgot that aspect of the game and that as well like that was that became addictive yeah i'm trying to find sam lake the little bugger eventually i got him in the end but the whole (laughs) like system that was really good as well
1: yeah, that whole weird side of like Sam Lake, Jeff Keeley, um, was it Jordan Vote Roberts? That so just that the yeah. whole media event that was Death Stranding, the whole album that came out, like Ludens, Bring Me the Horizons, yeah. new single, and everything. yeah, um, yeah. Josh, what what did you think of all that stuff? <laughs>
2: I remember um, like going to one of the uh, the places and activating it for the same, for the first time, and Edgar Wright popped up, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, no, he, he can't be in this as well." He driver, had all of those little poppers. It was like a. It's a distinctly Hideo Kojima game, but I don't... Mm. I feel like it's a well-done one. Mm. I was so surprised about how engaged with the story I was, and I know that you dropped off, Scott, but I mm. think you would have to kind of agree that in terms of, like, direction and presentation, the way that he filmed scenes, it was so... I, at least I thought it was so inventive, the way oh, the camera work is. kind of evoked that mystery that Ben Roy was talking about and the fear of what the hell is going on in this creative world. I thought the atmosphere was just kind of unparalleled and, like, yeah, like you said combine that with the really inventive and really satisfying multiplayer component. It's one of the only games that's had this social element that's also managed to make it feel intentionally lonely. Like the first time you go Mm. through areas, I think it's a great decision that you can't rely on anyone else's structures. You have to make your own. And then when you connect it, you're suddenly open to this web of other players and the things they've built and it makes your life easier. And Mm. It does feel like you are this kind of person out there single-handedly doing something, but then connecting to a wider community and you feel that through the players rather than you do through the NPCs like it's just for, people take the piss out of it and call it you know <laughs> like a, a crappy old walking simulator or all you're doing is delivering parcels and I feel like that's such a reductive thing you can do that to literally any game you can yeah. be like Doom's just a game about pointing clicking on demons and jumping away and I feel like you know Death Stranding yeah did this kind of like weird walking sim delivery thing but it made that engaging in the way that it like um designed its world the way that it designed its mechanics and yeah you were playing uh, left and right on the left and right triggers quite a lot Mm -hmm. but it it was it was much more than that like the mechanics was so much more robust and interconnected and it made it feel satisfying the act of getting around the game space was interesting and ultimately like that's what i look for in open world games especially trying to master a space whether it's you know the interconnected levels in dark souls or the mansion of resident evil one that's part of the fun and i think over this generation, especially, that element has kind of been lost in a lot of sandbox games. Mm-hmm. And Death Stranding just kind of embraced it and was like, nah, you need to figure out a way from point A to B. We're going to make it engaging.
1: Yeah, man. And like the reward systems are insane as well. Like, I mean, like, Ben, right, I know you got the platinum, but it's like every NPC that you talk to, if you do the missions for yeah. them, you get way better gear. Like, it's just that it gives you a good reason to do everything, like every last, um, you know, every last sort of side quest. Um, we can also uh, pivot across too because I mentioned my uh, first game was going to be God of War um, that for me, yeah, is my number one I was, I, a few games this generation I've thought are legitimately perfect, there's not a single pixel voxel uh, scene I would change whatsoever with God of War, and even in like a meta sense I love that they made something that sort of maturely addresses what God of War is like making it so that Kratos has an anger problem and that his sort of rage spikes with this rage meter on screen but he's also learning to be a better father and he's kind of like remorseful about what he's done And he knows that he's this brutal one-dimensional killer, or he used to be. And he's trying, he's like growing up and realizing that in a meta sense, like for the developers to do that as well. That's the thing that elevates God of War for me. Um, but I mean, but I don't know Benway, were you a fan of God of War
3: back in the day? I know Josh didn't play many of them. Uh the older ones I sat and played, they were the games I I played with a friend. And I I don't know why I always think about this, but I always refer God of War to like the experience I had with the Scorpion King game. Just like (laughs) I picked it up bash a few people about and then put it down so yeah. i wasn't going into this one expecting much and i was totally taken by surprise and i it turns out i love throwing an axe at people and just beating them up
2: mm-hmm. oh so. man the,
3: the um the leviathan axe thing the physics just
1: on that considering that like the chain uh the chains of olympus with this. Big before um, going down the Axe route. I remember when I first saw that, like leading up to launch, I wasn't massively bothered about it because I didn't feel like you could do it. I didn't realize they were going to do this whole like complete shift of what Kratos, who Kratos is and what God of War is. I thought it was just going to be more God of War, which I was like totally sick of God of War 3. Um, Josh, I don't know if you, did you like, bounce off the series because it was so ridiculous and over the top back in the 2000s?
2: Yeah, that's pretty much it. I know there was like an, a lot of appeal for that stuff like back in the day. I just kind of found it a little bit impenetrable. Like I'm sure mm. it was fun. I've only really played a bit of two, and I know a lot about three from like watching critiques and stuff. But it was never mm. it was never my thing. It's not that I was like wanting really complex characters or anything, but I just felt like it lacked. I don't. I just lacked a a hook to it if that makes sense like mechanically it was very satisfying but i didn't care for the world i didn't care for kratos didn't care for the characters like in general greek mythology isn't necessarily my thing anyway so when it was when there was a shift to um norse mythology and Uh we got this kind of new um kind of more intimate combat system that was something that appealed to me as well i didn't like the pulled back nature In to a lot of um, God of War's previous God of War games as action, like I thought that kind of made it feel less tactile, less tactile, even though Mm -hmm. it was very spectacular. So kind of bringing it in closer, both you know, literally and metaphorically, to the character and analyzing what the series was that appealed to me. And I think they pulled it off in just such a marvelous way. Like I had no affection for this world, and yet I left. Just caring so much about, you know, Kratos and his journey with Atreus and the overall landscape and, you know, tapestry that it wove with the new characters that it brought. But most importantly, it gave me a reverence for the original, like when he goes, well, spoilers, when 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 the Blades of Chaos, you know, come into play and Mm -hmm. older elements from the series come into play or are hinted at. And um, like, even though I had no real frame of reference for that stuff, I still felt it. And I thought, if, if it's made me feel some kind of, like I said, reverence for that past iconography and mythology, it must be doing something right. And I am, even though it's only like number four on my list, I think it's just you know, like a nine out of ten game. So incredibly solid. Like i I'm nine. not a fan. Well, it's also uh, very few things are a 10 out of 10, Scott Kelford, you know. <laughs>
3: no i was gonna say the weapons This is also the best case i found in the game where you have to use one weapon for one thing and one for another normally i'm like ugh. or normally like say in certain games that i'm playing at the moment where i've got a switch stance to press the same button to just do the same thing to a different person oh it's like a different thing. to get rid re- <laughs> it's just the problem <laughs> like okay give video games but the the blades of chaos and the vifan axe. i like the the fire and ice element to it and i like mm-hmm. how how they are so different, and you need switching to them feels so like kinetic energy, you just need to do it to get through the game. And mm-hmm. the fact that they only come in halfway through, and I wasn't getting bored of the axe, and then they throw the blades at me, I'm like, yes. My thing
1: with the blades is like, because, like I said, like thematically, like that's the part of him that I, I adore the the metaphor of him building his new house on top of the blades of chaos, or when he moved in, he put them underneath the house, and where he was living with Freya. But when you go back to get those chains, I didn't want to use them because I know what he left behind. So that whole side of it for me, I focused on the Leviathan axe. I'd only use the chains when I absolutely needed to. Um, But did that just land differently for you both because you didn't have the sort of like the whole background of like him being this overblown like teenage angst toed guy? Like, I I I was like, you've moved on from this.
2: I think it still works. Obviously, you had a deeper connection to that moment, but I think, you know, the reputation of God of War is there. If you're into video games, Mm -hmm. if you're into Sony's video games, especially, you know the reputation of Kratos. He was like this big deal. He has this reputation, even if you don't play the games, of being this kind of meathead and kind of like (laughs) almost a tragic figure, I guess, with Mm -hmm. his family and stuff. And you do get a sense of what those blades mean within the context of the game to the point where I was a bit like you, Scott. I kind Mm. of. I could tell it was such a weighty moment. I could tell that these things had history. It was part of this person he was trying to leave behind or move on from. So even though I, didn't, I hadn't played the other games, I still found myself favoring the Leviathan Axe the, the because of the thematics that were embedded into mm-hmm. how these weapons meant something to this character. It's the bit at the th- very... I
1: was just super quickly, it's the yeah. bit at the very beginning where his bandages fall off and you realise mm. that he's actually been trying to hide it, that he's scarred by it. So many little things like that.
3: I was so sold from the point of the first boss battle where you fight mm. with a stranger, and it it's the most draggables-y thing I've seen in a <laughs> long time. And I'm not a big fan of that either. Just, I was just so into it. It just told me, and carrying your little headmate on your belt for the whole time <laughs> just having some guy chatting to you when he's hanging off your ass uh
1: uh-huh. i love how he flags um incoming attacks as well he's just sort of like watch yeah. out like it's coming from behind you and um, we should pivot into the mighty last of us 2 uh benroy ben this was your uh, number one your first game to talk
3: about and um, what makes last of us 2 a big old deal for you uh, it's the sequel to my favorite game of all time. For one, I mean, there's bias there, but also I think it's the pinnacle of what Sony—not Sony—, not Sony uh, Naughty Dog has been building up to their whole cinematic presence for the, all this time. And mm. so far, I think it's the perfect gameplay-wise, the perfect sort of like combination of everything. I prefer The Last of Us One to the Last of Us Two still but there's just so much about like from even even the little touches like crawling down and hiding underneath a car like i feel like you've never really been able to just go underneath a car in games and it makes sense like screw it <laughs> i just get into the car and you can't see me and yeah sure it's got a lot of the old long grass but there's so much <laughs> to this game where i just i eventually begrudgingly cared about everyone in the end even though i hated hate <laughs> someone and i
1: feel like we can definitely talk about that stuff um because like that's obviously the the big pivot i think pretty much everybody who's going to care about last of us 2 story will have played through to this point if you haven't spoilers for like light spoilers for the last of us 2 in as much as they do a pivot halfway through where you switch protagonists and you're suddenly playing this new character called abby um who is responsible for a big old event Um, And that's the biggest thing. That's the reason that a lot of people hate it. Um, And I can totally get that. My whole thing was that all of that is meant to be intentional. You're supposed to hate, you're supposed to forgive, or you're supposed to at least see that Abby is human as well. Um, And that's the thing that's weird because that's what over time has made me kind of sour on it a little bit in terms of um abby sections i feel like drag on a little bit more yeah. um and i remember all of us saying that when we were playing through it just being like oh, i want to get back to the main character i want to get back to ellie um but the point is that you're supposed to be forced to see someone else's
3: perspective you wouldn't have that if they didn't force you to i feel yeah, like totally. they should have. oh sorry you first brown no sorry Pedro, cool. i feel like they should have cut between what was going on more rather than big chunk here Big chunk here. It just felt like a whole giant slab of something else dropped in mm-hmm. front of me. You know, I thought I was near the end. As everyone says, we you think you're near the at the end of the game, and then there's a whole nother game. Yeah. Now, I'm it's great value for money, but at the same time, it just was such a sort of left turn. Like, nope, sorry, and it pulled me out. Even though I thoroughly enjoyed a lot of Abby's sequences Uh, a bit puzzled why she doesn't carry a knife like Ellie but for the whole point (laughs) she's got guns mate even when she's not picking them up yeah (laughs) she's got guns and people hate that as well but (laughs) it's just for me it was a bit of an abrupt stop and even though I wouldn't say like I've forgiven the game, I feel like I know what the game was going for Mm -hmm. but I don't want to I don't want to harass anyone online for it and I still think it's a solid like nine out of ten for me or something like that I I think it's for me, what I want to have a video game story, uh gameplay. I, give give me stealth wherever I can get it. Give me some zombies wherever I can get them, and I don't care they're zombies. Mm-hmm. Uh It ticks all the boxes. I'm just gonna say it takes it everything for me. And to continue saying that, I was so precious to me. I I just love it. I love it. Oh, so, how have you found it over time?
2: Yeah, uh, honestly, man. Like uh, a lot of people might not like this, and I am. To be fair, I'm a bit sick of talking about the Last of Us Part Two. <laughs> partly uh, the discourse has kind of soured a little bit but like outside of that i have played this game twice now like it's the only game potentially ever that i have finished had a week in between and then thought i want to play that again i want to go back to experience that again partly because of what you were saying because i feel like in the moment you do get those kind of sections where you're like oh come on i want to go back to ellie i want to see where this goes i just want to consume the story and that is partly intentional, but also an undeniable fault for some people. A lot of people can't get past that. Mm-hmm. So the second time round, I got to enjoy the progression of the story a bit more and the characters a bit more, knowing everything and knowing where it was leading up to. And I didn't have those same issues with the second half because I just I genuinely enjoyed spending time with you know Abby and Lev and those other supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it made me appreciate the sections that I might have been a bit iffy. On You know, from a pacing standpoint, not necessarily a story. I was always on board with a story standpoint. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, how the game is kind of structured and framed Mm -hmm. the second time around. Any potential worries I might have had were just kind of like completely gone. And again, it, it sucks because like the discourse has soured and I feel like just saying that you like the game Opens you up to like a bunch of dislikes and stuff, but whatever.
1: Like, yeah, those 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 people that exist for everything. You could change your style of shoe, and there would be some someone campaigning that you've got it wrong or you've done it done it wrong Speaking or
2: whatever. Of, yes, Ellie has really good shoes in the Last of Us part. She too. does, to those be honest. Converse, they... Like, they they, I've got a pair of Converse back there that are exactly the same. <laughs> and man, they get bloody rough after one <laughs> yeah. outing. So if you're in a post-apocalyptic story, I don't know how she's keeping them so pristine.
3: There's a whole point when Dina scolds her for wearing converses as well. So it's like, why are you wearing, com- <laughs> why you wearing in canvas shoes? But I just want to quickly add to Josh's point for hand of you, Scott. The whole point of doing that second run, I gave it about four days in between. That first run, me playing it, like, broke me in some way emotionally. <laughs> I, it's, the sad, yeah. it's the saddest I felt all year, regardless. Like, I mean, it's been as sad as it is, but I was just so down and I couldn't get out of that. And then I went through again, did the game through again, kind of knew what was coming. Uh, I got the platinum. I think getting the platinum might have just fixed me, saved me from the <laughs> despair. Going through again and understanding what was coming. Uh-huh. I kind of, the game sat a lot better with me in the end. And I didn't just feel so, just so wretched and dirty and see,
4: but- to the end. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
4: This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates By the end of it,
1: I like it's emotionally raw because I think the point that they're going for is look how much people can't forgive each other. Look how much there's a complete lack of understanding, and look how much we can't just try and have a conversation and figure each other out. And that thing was so innately sad on like a human level, on a primal level, because of everything that's going on right now and has done for the last few years and whatever, and you know, the the wider sort of like socio-political landscape. But by the end of it i was just completely raw because of that and then i thought but i did think the game was saying like look it's like holding up this giant flag just for like positivity and you know throughout the game you come across different things like it promotes nature and you come across different animals and like the value of community and friendships and things like that and so like it is really grimy and they really drag you down to the mud but i think it's to make an overall positive message it's just that the game is so unyielding and it's so like grim and they you know they put you
3: through hell yeah. and that bit when they switched to abby is so jarring as well i i've never wanted to destroy something as much as i have the character <laughs> of abby and <laughs> even by the end i because they had both suffered I felt like the same, I was willing right. to I, I felt like Ellie, I felt like I was willing to walk away but the whole time I was like, I'm killing every last one of them like that really? game, it took me over yeah, it just took me over. That's good, I mean that's what they wanted you to do, I
1: felt like as soon as you come, as soon as the Abbey section starts I was like, I see what you guys are doing, oh the dogs have all got names, I like, yeah I see exactly what you're doing and <laughs> and um some my my part of it was, because you then have to be in Abbey's shoes for 10 hours, just being like, okay what else have you got um, and it's not until they flesh the world out more and you find out about the Seraphites and the WLF and the way that they work, and like sort of breeding hate through military and religion. And it's it's this much bigger, um, you know, comment on factional sort of disputes and tribalistic mentalities.
2: Yeah, it's like a, it's a final point. I will say that going into, into The Last of Us 2, I didn't want it to, it to be a game about different characters. I didn't want it to be about the factions, the fireflies, because I, I just, none of that resonated with me in the first game. And I just mm. wanted another Ellie, Ellie and Joel story. But going into the second game, it made me realize how much interesting stuff is in the last of us world. Like I cared so much about what was going on between the WLF and the Seraphites in a way that I just didn't expect to. And I was there that that made me more kind of fine with it kind of expanding the world a bit because I was like, okay, maybe I should have trusted you. Maybe, maybe I I should have invested more in the, the world of the last of us outside of these two characters and their kind of, friends and family well i love
1: i was just i I really love the way that they they don't necessarily reframe it but they sort of like you know reiterate what the fireflies stand for and like you know when abby says to lev like you're my people it's not about picking a specific faction it's trying to do the best for everybody
3: that was such a great takeaway thing as well it's almost totally. like they're fleshing the world out for some mm. sort of series that's going to be coming. <laughs> almost like it's gonna, it's gonna be really helpful to some, someone like HBO. No, 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 Mr. Craig Mason. Um, Josh, your second game to
1: highlight was Bloodborne, and um, we are actually I was going to say we're drastically running out of time. We're not running out of that much time, but what were your thoughts on uh, Bloodborne? That's at your number two spot. Bloody love Bloodborne, Scott. It doesn't get <laughs> enough recognition. Does Bloody all born when yeah. these
2: lists comes up. Like, every, when we talk about the best PS4 games, people are like, oh, Uncharted, Spider-Man, Horizon, God of War. And I'm like, no, Bloodborne is so good. <laughs> because um, even though it is, you know, very much in the same vein as the, the Dark Souls um, mold of kind of structure when it comes to the world design and the combat and stuff like that, it's very familiar if you played mm. a Souls game like for me and it, again it's like this is a very personal list for all of us you know what i mean yeah. so it's not like we're saying now these are the very best games of all time that's uh, what i'm saying the, well that's what i'm yeah. the, the world of um bloodborne for me is just it's richer than dark souls for me because it, it taps into an element of horror that i didn't expect at all going into it mm. and i got so much out of um afterwards like i still now years after the fact i played it at large and then i played again a few years later i'm still watching Analyses and critiques of the world and what's really going on, because the way it pivots from that kind of gothic Bram Stoker horror into this Lovecraftian cosmic nightmare towards the end of the game, I just thought that was so genius and something I didn't expect and initially did not want. But it's it 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 opens so many different possibilities and got me invested in the mythology in the world um, in a way that I just haven't been for many games across this generation. I feel like the ones that I picked out for this list have been have had worlds that i've been able to just completely dive into and pick apart in a way that i don't normally do it alongside mm-hmm. really great gameplay in that combined mm-hmm. with the really great gameplay like the things they added like the um the uh the counter-attack gun the the new dash the uh the hunter weapons which just look so sick even the, oh, the transforming dungeons, weapons yeah the transform weapons even the chalice dungeons which i thought were quite an inventive idea even though i didn't engage with it that much mm-hmm. it just it it it, it clicked, and if I had to choose between that and Dark Souls, I, like the first Dark Souls, I genuinely couldn't do it. But right. fortunately, Dark Souls was last gen, so I don't have to do that. <laughs> anymore. I could just say Bloodborne, pretty good.
1: good. You're not wrong. It, I was going to say, Benro, because I think you you clicked with Bloodborne as well, whereas I just didn't at all, but it's because I, I came from
3: Souls. I was very, yeah, it's Dark Souls, hard game, Demons uh, are hard. it's that hard games, You just want to be hard. You, you fall off the side a lot. And then I played Blood, <laughs> Bloodborne. And it just it just just took me, and it took me to the point where I was doing this this thing. Is it this the, the Sun does that. stance? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Blood Starved Beast. The uh-huh. Blood Star Beast put me to hell and back, and basically taught me how to play that game. And got I played, I loved it enough. To got the platinum. I just I'd never played something where I. I just love a good dodge in the game. You see, if only <laughs> if only their sequel, the game afterwards, Sekiro, like a superior, like an inferior game in almost every way, had wow, a decent light dodge <laughs> and wasn't <laughs> all about big men with sticks. It would actually be good. But Ben Wright's campaign
1: against men with sticks has gone across multiple games. Now. I
3: mean, Ghost of Tsushima's got that. For, that I almost swore that it's got that problem as well. It's got its got a huge stick, stick in it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, bloodborne yeah really good game and i can't really say anything else that josh hasn't apart from yeah Bloodstar beast my thing with um yeah I,
1: i'm not gonna damn um, i think bloodborne is this like immaculate creation if you didn't come straight from souls but like for me i, I was i just came from like dark souls 2 um and i just wow. remember thinking like oh it's
2: just it's just souls with a dodge and it's i just, just couldn't it's just it's just better
3: in every way though so it's just better
2: it's fascinating, that, Scott, because I, I did something similar. Um, I didn't play Dark Souls 2, but I just played Dark Souls, the first one, for the first time, like, six months or so before Bloodborne came out. So I went right. straight from that to that, and I was just like, Yes! give me more of this. Give me the, the thing I've just enjoyed in, a, mm-hmm. in an equally exciting world with a new kind of twist on the gameplay. Give oh, it, me more. It's totally this. my fault because I
1: OD'd on that formula because it was it was like 2013-ish when there wasn't, oh, sorry, 2014, and um, when there wasn't that many titles coming out at the beginning of the year. And I went from the first Dark Souls straight into uh, Lords of Fallen into Dark Souls 2 into Bloodborne. <laughs> and I was just like, I have burned myself out. And uh, I still Bloodborne is an immaculate creation. and I love the Lovecraftian stuff like you mentioned, but the game overall, didn't grab me like I know it
3: has with so many other people. And to move on to another um, choice. So can- uh, my- oh, on I was as you say, can we just definitively forever Bloodborne and Sekiro? Vote now, Josh, because you wasn't on that podcast. <laughs> um,
2: bloodborne, but Sekiro is great. Bloodborne oh. is the greatest oh. of
3: all time. He
1: sides with the stick man. I'm gonna <laughs> go with Sekiro. It's a tighter game with newer mechanics. My second uh, choice is Ghost of Sushima, which I still I finished it last night. That game. I, I don't know i'm fighting to say that's my game of the year mainly because ori is like gradually sort of firing up the ranks the more i go back to that game but Sushima is just so immaculately developed and so it's uh, so many design choices that favor the player um from like the you know you choose your own progression you choose exactly which missions you want to do you know what you're going to get but you always have that forward through line of like what you're supposed to be doing and what you're supposed to be getting to um the story itself i think is one of the best open world stories ever like it's it, that genre is oh, yeah. not known for great stories um and the character as well there's some straight up mass effect 2. everyone coming together everyone pitching in styles energy and that stuff i didn't expect at all um and it's when it makes that pivot towards the end of act two where it's like oh we're all in this together and everyone's like championing uh, championing uh, fighting kodal khan uh, or koden khan Kotal khan's to do for more combat um trying to sort of save the island I, I just love it. I absolutely love every single aspect of it. I don't know if you're still the same, Josh, because you're not finished Dude, just yet.
2: Like uh, Yeah, i I'm, I'm not finished it yet, but I must have played it. I've played it for over 30 hours. I probably played mm. it for 30 hours alone last week. You know, I've fully cleared the first area, fully cleared the second area, and mm-hmm. I'm just starting Act 3, which is why I didn't feel it was totally fair for me oh, to rate gosh. it on this thing right now. But huh. like Death Stranding, I've been living and breathing this. I've been playing it Every night until the early hours, because I'm just so invested (laughs) in the kind of like gameplay loop and the way it encourages you to explore the world. But, like you said, the story is something Mm. I just wasn't expecting. And these characters, the side characters especially, doing their missions and uh, kind of like following their threads and getting to know more about them it has engaged me in a way that i just didn't expect when i first jumped into it i thought the story kind of the setup was a little bit rote these side characters fit neatly into archetypes but the mm. further you get into the game i feel like it does some really interesting things with them that are actually really emotionally affecting like i was mm. playing a part on sunday morning i just set the day up for a fail because it was so well done <laughs> it was such this it was this touching quiet scene that you wouldn't get in like in Assassin's Creed and not to just slag that off. But I feel like they wouldn't have the time for something as slow and plodding as these couple of missions. And I played mm-hmm. them and it was had such a great payoff with his character that it's essentially just been introduced as well. And I thought, man, like this game has something special. It's making me feel things and it's just coming together in a mechanical and story-driven way. In a way that I just I didn't expect. I always thought it was going to be a solid, you know, seven or eight out of ten, but it mm-hmm. has genuinely been elevated to the point of you know, I think it's probably my second favorite game of the year at the moment. It, like, that's, in, yeah, that's I kind of where it's really sitting
1: it. for me. It's, I, 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 don't even, that's mainly some of my recency bias talking, but it's having since finished Sushima, and I, I initially did the games of the year so far, the video that's up on the channel before Tsushima came out. Um, so there's that too. But, um, Ben Roy, where do you, where are you sitting on Tsushima? I know you're not as big of a fan as me <laughs> and Joshua.
3: It's, um, there are certain fundamental things about the game that I just don't like. Sticks. Uh, I, I, I mean, there are, l- it's a I, lot of sticks. I, I, to be I fair. will say that when did we decide, as sort of like in the industry, that someone with a stick needs you can only defeat them in one way and you can't <laughs> just defeat them like a normal guy? Well, that, depends that, on how many
1: stances you're switching between, mate. There's, there's four of them,
3: isn't there? That aside, uh, I wish there was a mini map. I'm not going to go into more than that because we could be there for forever. <laughs> if if the, and... if any if the world could see the WhatsApp thread
1: that me, Ben Roy and Josh <laughs> yeah. have, the amount of of that Ben Roy is hating that he can't look at a mini map. You're not alone. Other people do wish they could see that stuff too. I, uh, um I love the wind mechanic though. I do this sure so
3: would do. I say that.
1: Good for an audio podcast. Yeah, the people
3: yeah. on the audio podcast. Uh, like he's gone into us the what? background. He's retrieving something. He now has so, a controller. This is me- I'm playing ghost Shima like this. But I'm, when I'm control. writing... This is me the whole time swiping the touchpad. I felt like because when I wasn't doing, You're doing it wrong, when I wasn't doing it <laughs> in the beginning, I was going around the, the, the hill and going the wrong side. I was like, but to be fair, that was more in the first area. In the second area, there's a lot less, it feels a lot more flat, the like the, the landscape. So it's not as like sort of harsh for going the wrong way around. Mm-hmm. There are some things that like I want to drop down on the ledge that I know I if I just was to walk off it, I wouldn't die. But, <laughs> He ginger just won't go over it, so I have yes. to jump, we and then, jump. He falls, then he falls to his knees and goes ugh, and almost not dies. a <laughs> circle, mate. It, you, know, you can roll out of it. Yeah, yeah. Now you can, but not at the very beginning. And <laughs> got used to it. I think I don't. I think I need to. As satisfying as it is, like mechanically satisfying, clearing. Like I've done everything, like Josh in the bottom section, and I hmm. started on the middle one, but I'm, I think I'm going to stop that now and just try and proceed with the sort of the the blue the silver and the gold quest things. But, that yeah. You, you definitely want like a good mix of all three. Like I sort of, I did like
1: two or three missions of the character ones and I did all of the, uh, the blue ones, which is where you get specific armor upgrades or the specific, like the longbow and stuff like that. Um, but the gold ones yeah. are the main story campaign missions, which I would say like you want one of them sort of every four or five of the other missions. And um, I know Josh, you cleared everything out. Whereas I eventually did, I've like, I hit credits, last credits last night. And now I'm going back over to go regroup with like Masako, uh, Masako or, um, Ishikawa or whoever, um, to finish out the rest of their storylines, which I know to you seems crazy because you've been ramping everything up in order.
2: Oh, that was utter oh. madness to me, Scott Tilford. You <laughs> tell me that you'd only played a couple in the first act? Like it's not a couple. Month? I've done the That's, I've done the that's,
3: three four. that's insane.
2: It's three not four, because to, honestly, like to me, that's that's the best content for as good as the main story. You've not you seen get. what happens, mate. Well, I know, I know, I know. But so far, you've not seen what happens in the side content.
3: <laughs> Big sticks, like, is it? I've been chasing <laughs> foxes the whole time.
2: <laughs> they really that, good foxes. That, that, can, that can do one after a while. But like for me, <laughs> furthering those threads with those characters made the main narrative more impactful because I had an investment in them. You do get an mm-hmm. investment anyway because you do see them around the main missions. But knowing about their backstory, knowing that I've helped them, they've helped me, it just made that bond a bit tighter in, yeah. like you said, the same way it does in Mass Effect. Like You can go through Mass Effect 2 uh, and still have an affection for all of these side characters, but I feel like you get that extra appreciation and literal extra loyalty by doing their missions and learning more about them. Like there is mm-hmm. some stuff in the uh Masako one, for instance, uh, that is t- some of my favorite parts of like the whole game. Like I, mm-hmm. some of those missions, I just love the, where they went and what they revealed about the characters. So it is a bit crazy to me, but as long as you get to, as long as you do them eventually, I'm alright with it. I don't mind when you do it.
1: I think it's just the thing with me with um, that game is just that it feels like an amalgam of all the best sort of, like there's a lot of sucker punches, like veteran uh, design traits all over. Like they know how to front, like there's hardly any loading in it. They tell you what award's going to be at a certain place before you get there. Um, or you know, like when you're walking after an NPC, you sort of dictate the speed that they go at. All these little quality of life improvements that you didn't realize other games were missing. Um, And it's just, it's got this Breath of the Wild sensibility to its open world, but it kind of borrows just enough of Assassin's Creed stealth mechanics. But then you have this really great meaty combat system and the story is fantastic as well it's just i think it comes together better than it almost had any right to and it, it <laughs> elevates so much more there's so much heart to it um so yeah that would be mine and um, benro your uh, second game to talk about was until dawn which rounds us out on this pod until dawn it's, is lovely it's,
3: it's like one of the nicest horror experiences i've had where just some dumb teens are going to a, to a cabin <laughs> and then is well, there any other kind and then are they all gonna die they're gonna survive or are some gonna die it's up to you and just this is a game that I have taken and played with friends and like partners before. And then just the people that don't play games a lot as well, just watch them mm. get to it straight away and experience it or watch me play it like a movie and then making the decision and just being, it's a game that I show people and kind of like amaze them by a bit. Like, look at this game is basically a, it's it's a movie and it is <laughs> unlike the David Cage stuff. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I, Cared about like there are some characters like you just got monked by uh I can't remember his name now but just some just just some lad jumping out dressed up as a monk and it's scary <laughs> the first time and then the <laughs> second time the third time you're you just thinking monk. about getting monked and I, I know I'm gonna get monked in a bit but it's coming and then as it goes on it gets a bit more serious and scary there is the tension and I don't buy the whole uh, the people hate the controller bit where if you don't are you gotta hold it still. You've, it's not hard except you've also got to move it a bit as well because mm. if you just hold it completely still if you put it on the side it then kills you because mm. they would knew that you would just do that but which i think wasn't done as well in the one afterwards i can't remember what it's called oh the dark anthology yes I, I think that wasn't done as well there but this is nah. for me the pinnacle of that style of game and the cinematic presence of just like a fun horror movie and yeah just well,
1: like, I mean, Stunt. how underused are, is teen horror in video games? Like, you hardly ever see it. Like, there's there's bits and pieces of it in, like, Dead by Daylight. Or my mind goes to, like, uh, I think it's called Obscure on the PS2. Um, but you hardly ever just see, like, a group of teens with a game that indulges in teen horror, that's self-aware with yeah. it, and has characters almost, like, Scream style, being like, oh, I'll be right back, and, like, you follow them or whatever. <laughs> um, that's kind of the tone that I felt like until Dawn had, but you're behind the controls and the decisions every step of the way. So, you know, like, on multiple playthroughs, you can, you can pretty much uh, ensure that
3: everyone survives. I think bar like two people. Um, you can and be different endings. There's like eight people that are decided whether they can live or die. You can kill right. all, all off or save them all, and um, I, I did it all because I just loved it. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean they,
1: everyone who's casting that is great, like Rami Malik and um, Hayden Platier and it's just it's a it's a great mid 2000s teen cast as well. And it's the got, whole
2: oh, Oscar oh, winner oh. Rami Malik is in yeah? that game. Like, <laughs> Freddie Mercury himself.
3: And also, the fixed camera angles just gave me a nice little, like, like the old Resident Evil vibe mm. of walking around this big house and not really knowing and having the creators direct me where they wanted me to look and sort of things. And like, I miss that, 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 also, I... that also helped me get monked as well. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the monk detector was uh, was spiking. If there was one thing to bring back in horror, I would totally campaign for fixed perspectives. I miss them. I think they could be done extremely well. Um, Josh, what are your thoughts on Until Dawn in general, though?
2: Yeah, dude, it's it's sick. Like you said, it has a total mastery over that teen horror genre. It, mm. it, it uh, elevates a lot of the mechanical focuses, I think, that a lot of these interactive storytelling games try. For me, it's just... It makes David Cage's, you know, Quantic Dream games look like just... Like kids' stuff, like kids' first video game. You know what I mean? I just feel <laughs> right. like, uh, compared to like the the storytelling in those titles, it's just it's so much tighter, and it has such a like I said, a mastery over the characters and the genre and the story it's trying to tell. And it, it sucks a bit because I feel like the developers haven't made a game to that level since. No. And I wonder whether Until Dawn was a one-off because I remember when it came out, I thought, right, this is the future of this subgenre. If 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 everything else isn't an Until Dawn we've gone down and I don't think there has been a game like that. No, nah. just Man of but that out.
3: was just Man of Madan. But again, for me, that didn't work. They're, like, it's got a neat little co-op vibe to it, but it just... The production quality is not there for them, for me. And it's yeah. too condensed and they're promising more. I, I say condensed is like, we all like quick games, but it just felt like there wasn't enough time to get used mm. to it or want to care about anything. Whereas mm. until dawn, by the end, it's great. And also Until Dawn is a game that you could play in a night. Sit get some friends down. Do whatever you want, like on a spooky night, and just play it all the way through. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, a 40 like devoted
1: single-player game. It's one of the best multiplayer games you could ever play. Like everybody's <laughs> reacting to all the there's so many twists and turns in that story. There's not the whole flashback thing, um, the whole like you know, the idea that you're, that you're finding out what's happening in the story from multiple perspectives and different characters. Yeah, there's a ton to stuff. Um, but yeah, th- those, this would be our sort of roundup of all the best PS4 exclusives of the generation. I was going to say so far, but that's it. They're the best PS4 exclusives of the generation. There's nothing else coming out for the rest of this year. Um, so let us know your favourites down in the comments below or can find us on social media if you're listening along on any of the audio platforms. Um, and let us know what you think. For now, this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford, joined
3: by Ben Roy Turner. Goodbye. And Josh Brown. Goodbye. I will catch you next time. See ya. Bye. Don't get monked. <laughs> <laughs> never get monk